Good morning, church. Merry Christmas to you. So glad to see you. Welcome. Welcome to campus, you hearty souls. You ever get a call from someone living in a, a certain part of Colorado or like San Diego, California in the middle of February, uh, places in the country where there are you know, over 300 days of measurable sunlight you know, every year, and they call you and they're all cheerful and happy and energized by life and, and the experiences of life? Have you ever wanted to just hang up on them? You know, just... We've already had uh, just recently eight consecutive days uh, without measurable sunlight. A couple of years ago, we went through the whole month of January without measurable sunlight any of those days of the month. Listen, you've got to be, you've got to be bold, courageous, tenacious, uh, incredibly uh, fortified in character and substance to live in this state year-round. And so God bless you all for being hearty souls and faithful followers of Jesus, not for sissies. Congratulations. If you've joined us online, um, you know, I'm sure you paid your heat bill and everything, so everything's good for you. Glad you've joined us as well. Welcome. Hey, just a reminder, we take up one special offering every year, just one, not two or three, just one, and it's at Christmas time. So now's the time to think about giving to our one-year special offering at Christmas. Let me just uh, give you the outline of things that we'll be supporting through the funding that will come in for our Christmas offering this year. The first is, of course, our men's recovery home. And I wanted to give you an update on the recovery home. It is constructed. It is complete. The director is in residence. We have just gotten official confirmation from the Department of Corrections that we are on their list now for referrals. We are starting to receive referrals. If you know someone who might benefit from the program at the recovery home, applications are available. You can call the church office or notify our partners at Urban Light Community Church here in Muncie. Dr. Andrew Draper is the pastor there, and he's left a nice message for us this Christmas to to say thanks for all of our support with the Recovery Home. Check it out. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Andrew Draper from Urban Light Community Church, and we want to thank you, our sisters and brothers at Union Chapel, for partnering with us to open a men's recovery home in the community. The Artie House is now finished construction. We have a program director in place, and we're receiving applications for men to be part of this sober living environment. If you know someone who could benefit from the program or the services at this home, we invite you to contact the number on your screen or to visit our website for the application. We're also partnering with many different community organizations and resources so that this is a holistic path for people in the community to live healthy, whole, and free lives in Christ. Again, we thank you for partnering with us on this journey, and we look forward to everything that God is going to do through it. Merry Christmas. Now, in addition to the support that we give to the Men's Recovery Home every year, and of course there are ongoing expenses now that the program is up and running. And so thank you for your generosity in that regard. We also, of course, have for years supported the Blood and Fire Christmas Store, which has already been conducted. Uh, $10,000 every year is designated to that. And if you're not familiar with it, this is a store that Blood and Fire hosts on their campus and uh, allows people on the margins of our community to buy Christmas presents, uh, pennies on the dollar, so that they can afford in a beautiful way to 
provide Christmas for their families. Hundreds of families benefit from this every year and have already this year. And so we're grateful for that ministry and happy to support that. Another is uh, um, children's Bibles. This is called Light Their Path Children's Bibles. This originated from one of our small groups a few years ago. And this small group now has distributed, listen to this number, nearly 14,000 children's Bibles across the community and, and other parts of the world. Isn't that an amazing accomplishment? And so we always give them a few thousand dollars to help perpetuate that beautiful ministry. We also have uh, a group of folks in our church who are part of the ministry dedicated to the Winchester House for Women. This is a recovery home in Winchester, Indiana, and some beautiful things happen there through the Winchester House Recovery Home for Women, and again, some number of thousands of dollars go to make that ministry possible. We're happy to be part of it. Um, let me just, um, what, I feel like I'm forgetting someone. Um, I, I'm, I have in mind, there, there is one other opportunity that has come up this year, which is um, related to uh, Ukraine. Many of you obviously know about the war in Ukraine and the devastation that that has caused there are approximately 14 million, hear that number, 14 million Ukrainians who have been displaced from their lives and their homes, their country. And some of those Ukrainians have landed in Muncie, Indiana. And we have a family here uh, who were living in Ukraine, actually teaching in a seminary there. Uh, the Tokars now have moved to the Muncie area after the war began and uh, teaching at Taylor University and living here in Muncie and have put roots down in the life of our church. And because of the displacement of so many folks out of Ukraine, uh, this new family of ours has family members as well as close friends that have, that have migrated out of Ukraine under the circumstances and are now living here in Muncie and indeed have been attending our worship services. And so um, the Tokars, the, our new family in tow here, have approximately 14 people now living in their small ranch house here in town. And the question was, could the church do something to help us um, deal, the, deal with this uh, very important need? And it's something that we just couldn't say no to, obviously. And so whatever money comes in, in addition to those other designated areas that I've described, we'll be providing some assistance to our friends from Ukraine. And I know you feel good about that too. Last year was an historic Christmas offering, uh, over $140,000 in our Christmas offering. And, and I think we could probably do that again. And I want to encourage you to be as generous as possible. Beth and I have uh, for years now, we're in that category. Not all of you are in this category, but we're now in that category of life where we have everything we need and then a bunch more. We have very low overhead now. You know, our kids are gone and all that. And so we have everything we need and then some. And so what Beth and I have done as a habit the last several years with the Christmas offering is we asked the question, if we were going to buy each other a Christmas gift, how much money would we spend on that? And, and so we forfeit that. We have everything we need and then some. Why keep buying stuff? I have no idea why you would do that. Now, Neither of our love languages is special gifts. So, I, you know, I've, I appreciate the fact that you may need to buy her a little something if this says love to her. 
Uh, but in our case, at least, we just take the money that we would normally use to purchase gifts for one another, and we give it to the Christmas offering, and we give even a lot more than that. So uh, be as generous as you can. You can give today. There are close by you little green envelopes that have a Christmas designation on them. You could put a check in that, drop it in the box as you leave today. We'll be having this little speech uh, more briefly in our Christmas Eve services on Saturday this week and a week from today on Christmas Day. And so anytime now you can start contributing. Beth and I will simply use the Union Chapel app to make that, make that offering. There's a place now online that's designated Christmas offering, so you can just follow that. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you so much for making these wonderful ministries possible. And I know you'll prayerfully consider how generous to be. Appreciate it very much. Back to the subject of our Advent Christmas celebration this year. The challenge that I've offered is to consider hearing the Christmas story for the first time. You know, many of us have followed Jesus for a long time, and so we are familiar with the characters and the, and the rhythms of the story. Some of us, however, are brand new Christians. This is the first Christmas that you're celebrating Christmas as a believer in Jesus, and how wonderful that is. It's a, it's a great moment in your life. But my, my challenge has been, can we hear it for the first time and appreciate the wonder of this message. Today I want to talk about the, the wonder of a promise. Before I get to that though, I want to just uh, share this list with you. Um, these are the top 10 things you don't want to hear at Christmas dinner. You do not want to hear these things at Christmas dinner. Here's number 10. I'm just using up cranberry sauce I had left over from last Christmas. <laughs> don't want to hear that. Number nine, so I figured if I'm dieting, everybody's dieting. No, ma'am, no. Number eight, just brush the frost off the turkey before you carve it. <laughs> Number seven, who wants bologna? Number six, thought I'd save a little time and just leave the feathers on. Number five, I'm trying out a brand new stuffing recipe. Hope you like licorice. Number four, before we eat, I thought we would just go around the table and take turns telling our favorite Christmas memory. No, Grandma. <laughs> Don't do it. I am speaking to someone within the sound of my voice right now who will be tempted to do this. Don't. Nobody wants to hear that. Number three, wait, we didn't get a picture. Everybody put your food back. I guarantee you I'm talking to someone right now who will be tempted to say that, please. Number two, put on that cute song about grandma and the reindeer while we eat. How many of you know what song I'm talking about? Yeah, that's a good number of you. And the number one thing you don't want to hear at Christmas dinner, here's the fruitcake. Now, I shared this list with Beth, and now Beth is from a large Catholic family, and she immediately pushed back on the fruitcake. She said, my, my, uh, my grandma used to make fruitcake at Christmas, and she had this huge family, and she began to describe the recipe, and I began to think, I think I would enjoy that fruitcake. 
Apparently her grandmother took these caramelized fruits and threw, and threw them in the batter. You know, it, just to take them separately would be wonderful. Caramelized fruit. I mean, just to say that makes you want to go. Have some. And, and then, uh, you know, Catholic grandma also would take a bottle of liquor and pour it into the batter as well. And that interested me very much as well. So I'm thinking fruitcake under the right recipe circumstances could be perfectly delightful. Today I have one verse of scripture and really one point I want to make. This is a holiday sermon, and so it's not, it's not complicated. It's right to the point. And if you can take home the point that I'll try to convey today, then I think we will be a success. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, one verse. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. That's a sign. Give birth to a son. That's a sign. And we'll call him Emmanuel. A virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Can you say that phrase with me? God with us. One more time. God with us. Hang on to that. Could I make an understatement this morning? Life is confusing. Oftentimes dark. Life is hard. Someone said it this way. Life is hard and then you die. Could you summarize life? It's difficult. There are moments in our lives when we feel alone. We think there is no one smiling on us. No one looking out for us. No one who really understands who we are, what we're facing, how we really feel inside. No one really gets it. The point I want to make today is the promise that God has made to us in Christ is a promise that we receive. And that promise is you are never alone. You're never alone. Some of us feel alone. Some of us actually live alone. And for some reason, our loneliness can be magnified around the holidays. Everything in life tends to get amplified around Christmas. Good and bad, happy and sad, it all gets bigger around the holidays. Maybe it's the crowds that surround us, the reminder of loved ones we've lost, the memory of Christmas when we were children, when our hopes were still alive. But you know, for all of us, if we've lived a while, some of our dreams, they're gone. They're away from us now. And we feel the poignancy of that. Maybe it's the time of the year. You know, I've already referred to the, the weather and the seasons, you know. It gets dark here in Indiana just after lunch. <laughs> and if you notice how quiet it is, you go outside, you know, in the middle of the winter, it's quiet. Makes you wonder. There are many reasons why 
a baby named Jesus was born into our world. But one of the most important is so that we would never have to be alone. Not alone. So that you would never have to face a dark night or a cold world or a lost cause on your own. On your own. Because someone is here for you. Someone who understands, who knows your fears, who knows your sorrows, who has a commitment to you, someone who knew you before there, there was a you. God knew you before you knew yourself, and he's with you. Someone wants to walk with you through this life. Almost 30 years ago now, some very brave souls from the life of our congregation sensed the call of God to uproot their families from Muncie, Indiana, and to move to Central Asia. We had discerned in those years that God was calling us as a congregation to adopt an unreached people group somewhere in the world who were yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over the course of a number of years, we discerned that people. And so we put out a call to people to consider going to that part of the world where there were no Christians, no believers. In this particular country, in Central Asia, we had done our homework and we knew that in the fourth century, there were a band of evangelists, if you will, traveling along the ancient Silk Road, which runs from Eastern Europe all the way to China. And this ancient Silk Road was a, was a thoroughfare for commerce in ancient times. And these evangelists representing Jesus sought to preach the gospel along the ancient Silk Road. And they, they got some distance on the road and we discovered that all of them were martyred. You can actually find some of their graves now. Martyred in the 4th century. To our knowledge, the gospel had never been preached in this particular region of the world since then, this was an unreached people, traditionally Muslim people. And so people uprooted their lives, moved to a small town, a village in this Central Asian country, had about 15,000 people in this village. And we began to learn the culture, learn the heart language of the people, and make friends, offer Jesus. We were told by experts, mission enthusiasts, experts around the world, that if you go into a traditionally Muslim country, you, it may take you years, decades to even, even experience one conversion to Christ, one convert. And you may never see a convert. I mean, if it was easy to preach Christ in these particular places of the world, then everybody would be doing it, and hardly anyone is. But we had the boldness to do it and the courage of these people who went. Two years into our infusion into the culture there, we had won some people to Jesus. The first converts in that village, in that part of the world, and probably in all of history, for 2,000 years of the church of Jesus Christ, now there are believers in that place. It was a young couple, husband and wife, and they had two sons, two small boys. And there they were in the middle of this village. And 
members of our team living in the, in the same area. Imagine that scenario in the middle of winter now and hundreds of miles to the north and east of that village in this vast country. A woman has suffered another beating, yet another beating from her alcoholic husband. Alcoholism is a horrible problem in this particular part of the world. She has two small children. She's young herself, but her husband is an angry drunk. And when he comes home drunk, he beats her. And she realizes after this latest beating that if she stays in that house, he is likely to beat her to death. And so she makes a choice. It's the middle of the night. It is the middle of winter and a blizzard has blown up. But fearing for her, the safety of her own life and her children, two small children, she bundles up her babies, she bundles up herself, and she walks out to into the, into the cold winter blizzard this night. She, she's not that happy, but, she, but she's making her way to the train station. And she begs her way onto a train. And she, she has nothing. She has no money. She knows no people. She's just alone with her babies in the world. And the train begins to roll south by southwest through the Central Asian country. And miles begin to click by. She falls asleep. She sleeps for several hours. The train periodically stops along the route and till she finally wakes up at about 3 o'clock in the morning. And she said later, reported it to us this way, I heard a voice speak into my mind. And the voice said, get off at the next stop. She resisted. I don't know anyone. It's the middle of the night. There's a blizzard. I have two small children. She rationalized what had come into her mind, but it came again, even more clear this time. Get off at the next stop. Amazed at herself, as she reported it later, she gathered up her two little babies, got off the train and began to walk into the face of this blizzard in this small town and just began to walk. She had nowhere to go. She didn't know where she was. She had no means. She walked for several blocks until she said her children began to, began to cry because they were so cold. And she desperate herself, walking along, the voice in her mind says again to her, knock on that door. This uh, part of the world, these particular people are extremely warm and friendly, hospitable. They welcomed us. It's one of the reasons that we went to this particular people group, because they welcomed us warmly. And so the, 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 the value in the culture is hospitality, but not necessarily for one another only for visitors, only for strangers. 
most of the homes in this part of the world are fenced in, large fences that are built tall enough that you can't easily climb over with big metal gates, oftentimes guard dogs on big chains, angry dogs to protect property. Because resources are scarce, people needing the bare necessities to subsist in life sometimes have to borrow things from their neighbors. And so everyone's very protective of their property. And so walls and gates. She starts banging on the metal gates to this particular house. And finally, a little light comes on the back porch. And a young man steps out, opens the gate, allows this woman and her children into the back of their house. And he stands there with his young wife, listening to her story. And she tells, tells this young couple her condition. After they hear her story, they look at one another, and then they announce to her, we are followers of Jesus. We will take care of you. You are welcome in our home. These are the only two followers of Jesus of their nationality within hundreds of miles in any direction. They're the first believers in that particular region of the world in history. They're the only two believers, followers of Jesus, of that descent available to this woman in all the miles that she's rolled in that train. And yet God and the voice of his spirit leads her and her two small children directly to that house. Now, as fantastic as that story is, as nearly unbelievable as it is, as virtually impossible as that story is, it's also absolutely true. It happened just that way. Fast forward in this woman's life, within weeks, one of her babies got sick and died. But because she was in the presence of Christ followers and the values and virtues through which they were living their lives, she too became a follower of Jesus and became, for years, a dynamic witness for Christ, an apostolic leader among her people. Amazing. Amazing story. We can conclude from this story many things, but one thing we must conclude in the context of this season we're living today is that we are never alone. God is with us. No matter what, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter no matter how much you have, have resisted and said no to the loving grace of God, the loving appeal of God to your life, no matter what you've been through in your health or in your relationships or in your business or in all of the affairs of your life, no matter how challenging, no, no matter how difficult, the God who loves you, who is the God who called himself Emmanuel, is with you. And he wants to gather you to himself. The virgin will conceive a child, the prophet said. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
See, the folks of the Old Testament, it was hard for them to get a grasp on this. They knew God above us. They understood God like for us, against our enemies, or not against us. And as long as they were living righteous lives, you know, they realized God would, God would be with them. God would, God would bless them. But they never conceived of a God who was with them personally, relationally, intimately. Not with us as like a father or a mother with a child. Not with us as a person who understands what it likes to be a human being. I mean, how could God comprehend that? Or not a God who would be with us in the same way that when we give our very best effort and it fails. I mean, we really try hard to make it work and it doesn't work. Not a, not a God who would, who would give, give his heart to someone like we would give our heart to someone and then be rejected. That happens to us. Or a God who would, like we do, cry at night over the pain or suffering of someone we love and we are powerless to do anything about it. Now, it wouldn't be a God like that. There was always a level of uncertainty with the people of God. That's why they, they, they loved the intermediaries. They, they, they liked the intercessors. They, they liked guys like Moses and the priests and the prophets and the kings. You know, someone to intercede for them between themselves and God. There's always this level of brokenness in the relationship, the separation in their minds. So they didn't conceive of a God who was with us, above us, among us, for us, not against us, yes. But what they failed to realize and what we can now appreciate in all of its fullness and expression is that the God who reached for us in Jesus Christ, this gift of Christmas, is the God who is with us. He's with us. You are not alone. Jesus knows how you feel when your friends desert you because his friends deserted him. He knows what it's like when your enemies mock you because his enemies mocked him. He knows what it's like when a loved one betrays you because he was betrayed. He knows the pain of crying beside a loved one's grave when your heart has been torn open. Lost people that he loved. He knows what it's like to be tempted because he was tempted. He knows what it's like to be in the midst of a struggle to do God's will. He struggled to the point of shedding great drops of blood. He knows what it's like to suffer because he was bruised in body and spirit. Heck, he even knows how hot is the breath, if you will, how cold are the fingers of death when that final hour comes. Just summarize it this way. Our God has scars. When you meet Jesus someday in the eternal kingdom, you lay, lay eyes on the glorified body of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus in person, face to face, you will notice he has scars. The scars incurred at the crucifixion are scars that he carries to this moment. He will carry forever. So here's my response to all of this. Let life do to you what it will. Let life take your dreams, take your health, take your loved ones, take your ability to figure things out, make sense of it all. But don't ever let it take from you 
the certainty that God is with you. Not that. And you will never be alone. He will never forsake you. You can hold on to that promise. And if you hold on to that promise, you will discover that it is enough to get you through whatever you're going through. God is with us. This is a promise that we receive. And let me just say briefly, it's a promise we share. We are meant to be the presence of God in the lives of other people around us. Have you ever noticed that the people in Jesus' life who are most attracted to him, who reach for him the most, are the, are the people that other folks in the culture rejected, looked down on? You know, the condemned who, who were pushed away by culture were comforted by Jesus and drawn close to him. Did you notice? Those who were, those who were sick and diseased, who were held in suspicion by the culture, were healed by Jesus. I don't know if you pick, that, pick up on that. People who were judged by the culture around them were forgiven by Jesus. And the question needs to be asked, why were they drawn to Jesus? Simple, because when everyone else pushed them away, he pulled them close. And he's still in that business. Our world is lost. It's broken. It's confused. It's angry. Our world is full of itself and empty of God. And more and more that is true. Much of our world hates the church, finds the gospel offensive, finds Christians annoying. And so it goes. So what are we to do? We are to share the promise of Christmas. That's what we do. Because Matthew picked up on the theme and wrote this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, when he wrote, the virgin was with child and gave birth to a son, and he is called Emmanuel, with us, not above us, not just, not just among us, but with us. And we are called to share that great news. One more story, I'm going to stop. Holiday sermon. You're welcome. <laughs> I want to tell you about Lewis Smith. Lewis was a pastor of a small little holiness church in Frankfort, Indiana. He pastored that church, always let fewer than 100 people. He never pastored 100 people. He pastored that church for over 50 years. It was like at the end of a dead-end street, side street in Frankfort, Indiana. Over those years, the city fathers and mothers in Frankfort discovered that when a needy family happened to come through and, you know, they're homeless and they're destitute or someone became vagrant, you know, in the city, in the town, the officials there knew that if they called Lewis Smith that Lewis would take care of them. And so for years and years, when the city got a tough case to deal with like that, they just called Lewis. And Lewis would take these folks in, take care of them, help them get to the next step. 
When Lewis Smith finally passed away a few years ago, the city fathers in Frankfurt, Indiana, renamed the street, little side street where his church existed, and the name of the street now is Lewis Smith Avenue. Lewis Smith and his wife raised nine children. One of them grew up and eventually became the president of Indiana Wesleyan University here in Marion, Indiana. His name is Henry Smith. Henry Smith and his wife, Teresa, and Beth and I are good friends, and the reason for that primarily is because we share grandchildren. We have a set of twins, 10-year-old now, grandchildren, and Henry is the other grandpa in their, in their lives, besides me. On the occasion of Henry Smith's inauguration as the president of Indiana Wesleyan University, they were kind enough to invite us to attend. It was a very grand experience, as you can imagine, the largest building on the campus filled with 3,000 people or so, just packed out with people. It was a big event, important event. Lots of pomp and circumstance, lots of academic regalia. I mean, it was a big deal, as it should be. It was perfectly planned. Every item, every different stop along the journey of this worship service and inauguration was well thought and planned. There was a moment in the ceremony when Henry Smith knelt down at a little kneeling rail and the leaders of the institution, trustees and other administrators gathered around Henry Smith to put their hands on him, lay hands on him and commission him for the task of being president of the institution. Powerful moment. All those designated to pray had carefully and thoughtfully prepared their, prepared their prayer. Some of them actually having it in hand to read. So that the words would just be right and exalted, you know, exalted language. Beautiful event. Henry Smith had also wisely asked his father, Lewis, to offer a prayer at that part of the cer- ceremony. And when it came time for Lewis to pray... Lewis was not outfitted in any kind of academic regalia. He was just wearing his 30-year-old suit. Because, you know, he pastored less than 100 people for 50 years. He raised nine children. Lewis didn't have a new suit. And Lewis Smith took his old hand, and laid it on his son's head, and he began to pray. He prayed for about 10 seconds. When I leaned over to my wife, Beth, and my comment was this. I said, this room is not big enough to hold that man. I'd never met him at that point. And his prayer was so heartfelt, so meaningful, so insightful, so unassuming, so non-pretentious.
and straight from his heart and straight to God. I was amazed. I'm sure that there were many others in the room thinking, who asked him to pray? You know, he's messing up the elegance of the service. But I knew better. And I was so impressed. Over the next several years, I got to be friends with Lewis, different family gatherings where we were all present. The last time I spoke with Lewis, it was one of the birthday parties for the twins. And we sat down and I said, Lewis, what are you going to do this winter? And a big smile came on his face. He said, I'm going back to Florida. I said, oh, really? Is this something you've done recently? Yes, the last couple of years. He said, I've gone to Florida. And then his eyes began to twinkle. And he said, I have a good friend. And he named the city in Florida. And he has a men's mission there, a street front mission. And he said, my friend has a little closet inside the mission. And he said, he puts up a little army cot in that closet. And he said, he lets me sleep there. And his eyes are just dancing. And he said, so all winter, he said, I'll get to... I'll get to stay, stay on the cot there and I get to spend all day long every day just interacting with the men at the mission, help, helping them understand their faith. And then he said, and I quote, he said, it's just like heaven for me. Since I met Lewis, I wonder if I'm even a Christian. I don't even know. I don't even know. It's not easy for me to tell. But I do know I've met a Christian. I had a friend who was a Christian. And I know he defines heaven a lot differently than I might. So here we are in this powerful moment, this wonderful consideration of the incarnation of God himself, not only to identify with us, but to be with us, to be with us. That no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, no matter the hardship, no matter the suffering, no matter the difficulty, no matter how far away from God we feel, God has promised, and this is a promise that you can, you can count on, he's promised to be with us. And the reason we can know that's true is because he's done it. He came here when he didn't have to. He showed up when no one expected it. He, he took on he took on an earth suit when no one would anticipate 
that kind of extreme sacrifice. But that's what he's done. He's proven to us. He's made good on his word. That a virgin was with child and gave birth to a son and they named him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And friend, no matter who you are, your circumstances in life today, and no matter how poignant the pain or warm the celebration, God is with you. And he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And if you hang on to him and this simple promise, it will be enough to see you through all the way to the finish line. Do you believe it? Say amen. amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for this amazing story. We stand in awe with a heart full of gratitude and wonder of your promise to be Emmanuel, God with us today, tomorrow, and forever. You're a God who truly understands our struggles because you lived in our world and experienced life the same way that we do. You have compassion on us, recognizing that we are sheep in need of a tender shepherd. So help us have that same compassion for others. Reaching out to love others just as you have loved us. And with your help, we'll seek to share the promise of Christmas. Not only this season, all the days of our life. Lord, hear our prayer and enable us to embrace this truth. Meet each one of us, we pray now, at the point of our need. For Jesus' sake, in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with us?